It's been a unique uh, uh, week. I, uh, this last week I spoke nine times in five days at, at junior camp, and I think somewhere between 15 and 20 kids got saved, so we praise the Lord for that and for the freedom to go and share that, share the gospel there this week, and to touch hearts and lives. And one of the things I did in the morning service was share some stories from the Old Testament that were reminders to me of how great God is. As in Second Kings chapter 4, mostly in the mornings this week, and if you remember in Second Kings chapter 4, the first uh, situation is the Shunammite woman. And uh, this woman, she has, uh, her husband has just died. Her husband owes a great debt. She doesn't have the money to pay it. And, of course, she has no more husband to help with that. So the creditor wants to take the lady's two sons. And, of course, the man of God, Elisha, comes in and says, go gather all the empty vessels. Well, what are we going to do with those? Just go gather them. And then, of course, she comes in behind her, shuts the door, and begins to pour until there are no more empty vessels. And the kids go out and sell the oil, and God takes care of the needs. Then you find out that there's a woman that wants a son. And in wanting the son, the man of God says, this time next year you're going to have a son. And he goes, no, don't, don't deceive me, man of God. Don't, don't tell me something that can't be true. Don't you realize how old my husband is? She blames it on the husband, he being old. But here it is a year later, she has a son. And she's rejoicing. And now the third part of the story is that, or the third story I brought was, now he's out in the fields working, working with his father, and all of a sudden he has a headache, and boom, he's gone. And she calls out for the man of God, and the husband's like, what are you calling him for? And her response is, it is well. It wasn't well. Her son just died. And then... Gehazi runs out in front of Elisha and says, is it well? And she goes, it's well. But my son has died. So Elisha tells Gehazi, go out and put your staff on his face. I I could think of a thousand other things to do than to stick a wooden rod on on the face of a kid. But nonetheless, Gehazi does it, and then he comes and lays on the body, and God's Word tells us that the warmth of the sun came and, you know, he doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us that he gets up and walks and runs around with joy and excitement. No, he sneezes seven times. I, I don't know why the story takes on the life that it does, but it did. So he brings the life, child's life back. And then the fourth one is that there's the stew that's poisoned. He says, there's death in the pot. He says, just throw some flour in it. You'll be all right throws flour in the pot, and they all ate, and then all of a sudden someone brings the bread, and he goes, that's not near enough bread for 100 people. Just feed them, there'll be plenty. Over and over, these stories in the Old Testament, there's, there are really just a couple of key components that I still think ring true today. You know what it is? Trust and faith. It really comes down to it. I mean, in all these situations, the woman could have either said, well, why, why? Why why do I got to do that, Elisha? Why? Why? But instead she had to exercise trust in what he was saying and faith in God that he was going to work. Well, I really don't believe I'm going to have a son because my husband's old. I need to trust what the man is saying and have faith that God's going to work. The boy died. I still need to have trust in what Elisha said to do and faith in God that he's going to work. I got this food problem. I, I know, but I need to still trust in what he says and have faith that God's going to work. The, the, the principles haven't changed. 
In a thousand years, they haven't changed. I still need to trust what God's Word says and have faith that God's going to work. And it's opportunities every day for us to see God do something. And I'm afraid many of us haven't seen God do something in such a long time we forgot what it's like to see God do something. I don't know. I, I, I just think this is one exciting book if you'll get into it. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. Um, back in 2012, I, I shared some messages from the book of Acts, and I looked at my notes the other day, and I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? That makes no sense to me. I'm sure it made no sense to you, so I'm starting over. And uh, it's something I've been challenged to do in this book, and, and I'm just excited to do it. But many times throughout the years, we have heard statements from various preachers Concerning the work that Jesus came to do, it's finished. In fact, in John uh, chapter 17, I'm going to turn there. You don't need to turn there, but John chapter 17. I'm going to read just a couple of verses concerning this. In John chapter 17, verse 4, he says this. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He said, I have finished the work. And we believe that the work that Jesus Christ came to do as far as salvation on the cross of Calvary is finished. In fact, in John chapter 19 and verse 30, he says this, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the Spirit. As we think about Christ's sacrificial work on the cross of Calvary, we all say a hearty amen. The work is finished. He came and completed the work that He came to do. But when it comes to the book of Acts, it truly is the first volume written about the early church. It truly shows how the Spirit of God orchestrated and empowered growth uh, of the early church working mightily through the apostles. Especially, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. But really, it wasn't necessarily the apostles. It was the Holy Spirit working through them to accomplish what God was wanting to do in and through them. So his message teaches us the principles of evangelizing the lost, discipling new believers, and uh, building up the church. And Luke's message here in the book of Acts was to encourage believers to operate in the powerful strength of the Holy Spirit. So let me just stop right there just for a moment. If, if Luke's encouragement was to work through the power of the Holy Spirit, what that insinuates is that we shouldn't be working in our own what? Flesh. Because in and of ourselves, we are weak, we will fail, and we will not do what God wants us to do in how He wants us to do it apart from the Holy Spirit. So I'm convinced this is why so many Christians are weak spiritually and not seeing God at work in their lives. And I think it's also carried over into the church. We've been talking about this for several weeks and why we're not seeing a hand of God movement in churches across America. I don't know about you, but experiencing the hand of God firsthand in my own life would be far superior than reading about it somewhere else over there. Nebulously out there somewhere. I want to see it here. I want to see it in my own life. I want to see that there is not just a factual knowledge of God, but an experiential knowledge of God. And I'm not talking about this, woo, mysterious whatever. I'm talking about sensing the presence of God and knowing that He's at work in our lives. When's the last time we saw that movement? 
But I believe it's interesting, however, as we reread what Luke said in Acts 1, referring to his early treatise concerning the work of Jesus. And he says it right away in, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after through the, through the Holy Spirit, or after he through the Holy Spirit had given uh, commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So his account included what Jesus had done in the crucifixion, his uh, resurrection and his ascension into heaven. But notice what Jesus reminded them. And really, I think it's, if we want to put it this way, the job that we have at hand. And so I'm going to jump around just for a moment. But in Luke chapter 24, I want to read just uh, several verses in the end of Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles there, you can turn there if you want. Luke chapter 24, I want to read verses 44 and following. So he says this, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So let me ask this question. Who was Jesus speaking to? He is obviously speaking to his, to his disciples here. And we see that back in verse 36. He says, Now as they, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt, or why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So there's this whole concept as he's standing right before them in their midst and he says, it is necessary for me to come, to die, to rise again, that the work might go forward. It is necessary, he says. And you are witnesses to these things. But verse 40, when he said, said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him peace of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate, and then he opened up the Word to them. You know, we live in the, in the midst of a world that is still doubting. And even though he could show us his hands and his feet, we still doubt. And he's right there in their midst. Uh, in John chapter 20, if you would turn over there just for a moment, John chapter 20, Verses 21 through 23. He says this. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now keep those things in mind. He says over in Luke, he's, I'm, I'm giving you peace. They're troubled. They're terrified. They're concerned. They don't know what's going to happen. He's leaving. But peace I'm giving to you. And as... I've been sent, I send you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If they retain the sins of any, they are retained. He gave them the power to go out and do the work that he had called them to do. And of course, what is the work? We saw in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And can I just say this? I've said this for years. I believe it to be true. I believe it to be the Word of God. Because if we do not follow the Great Commandment, you'll never follow the Great Commission. Does that make sense? If I don't love God as I ought, I will never serve Him as I ought. Love has to be the motivation for serving. And once again, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so if our heart is on every other thing other than serving God, well, that's where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. That's where your energy, your efforts are. The Apostle Paul probably best exemplified this burden to finish the work that Christ had started in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. He says, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Sign me up, right? I have no idea what I'm going to encounter when I get there, but I know it's not going to be good. Put my name on the list. I'm going. Right? No. Paul says, all I know is that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, and I know that there's going to be trouble when I get there, but nonetheless. I don't fully understand. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't understand. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. He says, bring it on. You can't scare me. Isn't that amazing? We get scared to death to open our mouth about anything spiritual because they might look at me funny. They might think I'm crazy. They might think I'm weird. But he says, none of these things move me. I might lose my life in the next town. And I don't even care. Isn't that amazing? He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish a race with joy, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I am only concerned about testifying of God's grace. Can I just ask a simple question? For real, and I want us to answer it in our minds. When's the last time that we have testified to somebody of God's grace to you? When's the last time? When's the last time you just took a moment and shared with somebody and don't let me, just before you think, well, Pastor Graham doesn't think anybody does. I know some of you are doing that. I know that. But some of you have, opened, have not opened your mouth in years. Years. Let's be honest. This is what Jesus left us on this earth to do. Not just to exist. Not just to show up to church. Not just as, well, I'm saved. I got, I got that badge. Put it away. He has called us to testify of, to His grace. Over and over, Paul was probably one of the greatest examples of that. And Paul says, I don't care about my own life. I don't, you can shoot me. You can kill me. You can do whatever you want. I don't even care. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 
For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Folks, I believe, it's just my opinion, that the days are coming where you're going to have to stand up and either be a picture of Christ and choose who you're going to serve, and it may cost you, or you're going to say, not me, I'm not one of those guys. The day is coming where you're going to have to choose. And I think those days are near. I, I don't know, that's just me. I think those days are coming real quick. You see what's going on in our world? It's not going to get better. I promise you it won't. Let's get back to Acts chapter 1 here. We have a job to finish, and I believe we have failed in some respects. The church of Jesus Christ is failing to finish the job that Jesus left for us to do. In Acts chapter 1, he says, the former account I made, he talked about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He said, I talked of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He finished his salvation work on the cross, but the work that he came to do still goes on. Until the day in which he was taken up after through the, through the, Holy, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, partly his hands and his feet, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus presented himself alive, speaking about the kingdom of God. We need to know the truth of God's word. Many don't know. And folks, not knowing the word of God is no excuse. People say, well, I'm not sure what to say. I'm not really sure what to do. Here it is. 2 Timothy 2.15 says what? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly what? Dividing the word of truth. So let me ask this question. I know I've asked it before, and I'll ask it again somewhere in the future. Did God give that verse to pastors only? Did he give it to deacons and Sunday school teachers? No, it's not just for church leadership. It's for everyone. And we're in just a simple English rule, and I'm not an English teacher. Praise God I got out of English teaching my junior high class second year. God knows I needed out of that class. But I learned one rule. When there is no subject, it's understood you. You study to show yourself approved. You're to study it. People say, well, I just don't read. I just don't like to read. Shame on you. Seriously, shame on you. There's no shortcuts. Read God's Word, and He'll tell you what you should know. In Hosea chapter 4, and verse 6, He says, my people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. He says, not because I've rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priest, because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. He says, there is consequences to not knowing the Word. He says, they are rejected. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, they examined the Scriptures daily. Daily. Man, I fail at that sometimes. I want to do it every day. I have the best of intentions. You're the pastor. You should be in God's Word every day throughout the day. Yes, I, I'm human. I miss it once in a while. But the reality is, some of you can go weeks and weeks without right reading God's Word. And it doesn't bother you. Shame on you. 
They examined the Scriptures daily. So for a period of 40 days, Jesus met with them and spoke. And notice a couple of the key words there in verse 1. Do and teach. A good test of whether or not you know something is whether or not you can teach it to another person. Several years ago, um, we had a guy and his wife who started attending my church in Minnesota. I have no clue what his name is. I, I don't remember anything about it. But the one thing I remember is that he owned a Kirby vacuum cleaner dealership. You all remember those? Man. I, I, I'm telling you, they're, they're, it was amazing. He come in there and says, you guys are in college. You guys could go sell, sell these vacuum cleaners for us. Man, you'll make good money. And I remember I thinking about how much these vacuum cleaners cost. I was like, someone's got to be out of their mind to buy one of these things. My dad bought one. Um, my dad could, my, my dad, I'm telling you, my salesman coming to my dad's front door, that was golden. I'm just telling you. My mom would agree. That guy would buy anything. But the cost involved with a Kirby vacuum cleaner. In those days, when I was a junior in college, was roughly $1,200. The first $400 went to the Kirby vacuum cleaner company. The second $400 went to the dealership that was sending out people to sell them. And the third $400 was your commission for selling it. Yes, that's right. If you can add 4 plus 4 plus 4, they were $1,200 at that time. So if you got one for less than $1,200, basically the salesman was cutting his commission. So, you know, and of course, the way they did it was like car salesman. Yeah, I just gave a presentation. He's thinking about it, but he's not really sure if he wants to spend that kind of money. And they said, well, just take $50 off. Hey, they're, they're willing to take $50 off. You think you might be interested in that? No, he's not interested in that. Well, go a little bit more if you need to, $75. They're willing to take $75. And I'm thinking, there is no way in heaven I'm doing this. There is no way in heaven I am being this. I went one time, one day. And the day I got there, they didn't tell us, give us very good instructions where this dealership was. And they had these morning powwow meetings. So when you got there, we were late. And of course, it was our first day, me and my brother. But someone else came in late who had been there for a while. They had a Kirby vacuum cleaner hymn book with all these Kirby vacuum cleaner songs. And they made them go up front and pick a song and sing it to all the other salesmen. And I looked at my brother and I said, no way in heaven are we staying here. We got out of there. Here's the point, though. Yeah. Uh, vacuum cleaners. You can't sell if you're not convinced of the product. And even if you are convinced of the product, you're not going to sell if you're not convinced of the company and then what's associated with it. I looked at everything that was associated with it and I said, ain't no way. I'm out. <laughs> I am not singing a Kirby vacuum cleaner song. I'm not going to make phone calls four times in front of the guy that I'm giving a demonstration to. I'm not going back to this place to save my life. Not happening. It was weird. I'm not a salesman like that. I wasn't convinced of it. Other people were. Made good money. Not in on it. If you're not convinced of what you're supposed to be doing, you won't do it. So here's the question. Are you convinced of Jesus Christ? 
Are you convinced of who He is? What He came to do? What He accomplished? Where He's at today? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, ruling the kingdom. Are you convinced? Because if you're not, you'll never represent Him well. If you're shy about it, embarrassed about it, ashamed of it, you'll not represent Him well. Sometimes we are so worried about what a complete stranger thinks that we're willing to throw it all away, the baby in a handbasket on a silver platter, and say, "Uh uh-uh, not me. Because we're worried about what a complete stranger might think if they hear us talking about God. If you're not convinced, you will not represent Him well. Look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, talk about having to display patience. For 40 days, Jesus spoke with them, and there were things there for them to learn yet. And there were times when they were trying to get ahead of what Jesus was needing them to do. They were worried about whether or not He was going to come and establish His earthly kingdom. And He says, wait a minute, we're, we're, not, we're not here to discuss that right now. We're not, we're not talking about that. He says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to give you power. That's what we go in. The power of the Holy Spirit. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit. They had to get all the tools, so to speak. Remember that verse in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49? Verse 49 said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Think about that. Are we going about in the power of God or in our own fleshly power? Because once again, if we go, are going in our fleshly power, it's not going to work. In John chapter 14, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatever I have said to you. If we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And that's what he said in verse 7. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He said, You're worrying about whether or not I'm going to establish an earthly kingdom? He goes, You don't need to worry about that. You don't even need to think about that. He says, what you need to think about is doing what I've asked you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. We need power to do His work. And apart from that, you'll never be able to do what He's asked you to do. In Colossians chapter 4, Almost there. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. So, beloved Tychus, beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. He says, when I come, he says, pay attention to the ministry you have received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. He says, take heed. Pay attention. 
He says, do what I'm asking you to do so that you can what? Fulfill the ministry that I've given to you. How? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. Apart from that, you can't do it. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power is. If you want power to be obedient, power to do the work that God's called you to do, power to withstand the opposition, power to have the courage and boldness, you can only have it through the Holy Spirit. How do you get it? Well, first of all, you need to be saved. And he says in Acts, <laughs> bottom line is, it's only in the name of Jesus, no one, no, nothing and no one else. Nothing and no one else will save you. It's only in the name of Jesus. That's it. I'm not sure that we, as a country full of churches, understand that. Churches are growing like wildfires. Mega churches. Smaller churches are closing up one after another. You've got the two extremes. You've got bigger churches getting bigger and smaller churches closing. Hardly anything in the middle. And I think either way, there's a lack of the Holy Spirit on either side to do the work the way God has called us to do it. Operating in the flesh. We begin to treat big, mega churches like like the pastor is the CEO, and there's a board of elders, or the board of elders is the is the uh, you know the leadership of the, of the of the organization, and it's just what can we do to get bigger and more and more and more and more. In smaller churches, well, people are just giving up. Why? I believe personally it's because it's the lack of the Holy Spirit working in and through people to do what God has asked us to do. That's my opinion. And I believe it's based in God's Word. We need to get back to preaching Jesus and sharing Jesus and living the life that Jesus has called us to live. 2 Timothy reminds us chapter 1 Verse 7 and 8 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Think about that. You need boldness? He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. You need power? I've given you the Holy Spirit. In fact, I did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed. If you ever want to do a study, look up that word ashamed in Scripture. And he says, if you're ashamed of me as your Heavenly Father, I will also be ashamed of you at my appearing. I don't fully understand that, but I don't think it's good. I think there's a purpose in being bold and courageous and saying, I'm not ashamed of my Heavenly Father. And that's what He wants us to go forward in. What will be the result of the Holy Spirit working within us as we carry out this work that He's called us to do? We'll eventually get somewhere down here, but for right now, Acts chapter 11. Look at beginning verse 19. 
Acts 11, beginning with verse 19, says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be preaching. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's the result of preaching Jesus, is that many will turn to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he, had came, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. I don't know about you, but there was persecution in the land, right? We read that in the first couple of verses. There's persecution. People are nervous. They're scared. They're terrified. And what does he do to help them overcome it? Preaches Jesus. That's what we need to be reminded of. So let me read verse 23 again. When he had came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Think about that. It's an amazing story. Especially verse 24. Great many people were added to the church. I would love to see that in my day. I would. I would love to see a great many people added to the church. Not to become a mega church, but because Jesus is being preached and proclaimed and people are turning their hearts towards him. You want to see this country change? That's what it's going to take. One person at a time. It's not going to be done in the masses. I'm amazed that Jesus poured his life into, what, a thousand people? Oh, wait a minute. No, it wasn't a thousand. It was 500, wasn't it? Wait, no, it wasn't even 500. How, how many did he pour his life into? What? Twelve. Imagine what 12 people who were committed to following Jesus did, and we're still seeing the results of it today. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have internet. They had no satellites, Mike. No satellites in space. How did the word get out? Shortwave radio. Ham radio. Word of mouth. Isn't that amazing? With a simple mouth, the word got out, starting with 12. Here we are centuries later with the word of God in hand still proclaiming Jesus. And if we're going to see a movement, we're going to have to get back to letting the Holy Spirit work through us, going in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the name of Jesus, and I think then, and only then, will we begin to see some benefits of, of the work that God has called us to do. Look back here. Verse 9, Acts chapter 1. So here he is. He says, I'm giving you the power that you need to do the work that I've called you to do. And he says, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the other, other ends of the earth. I've heard a thousand explanations of what those four are. 
our Jerusalem. Well, that's right where we live. I, I don't know if that is, but it sounds good. It's certainly not wrong. We can apply that to this is where we live. Jerusalem, Judea, that's a little bit further out. You know, and we're concerned about the cities around Henrietta. We're going to go to Greece and, you know, maybe we might go as far as Ithaca and, you know, I don't know. Figure out the cities that are further out. Sounds good. It's not necessarily wrong. And then Samaria, further out. Maybe that's in the next next country over. I don't know. Maybe that's the Canada, Mexico. Those are, I don't know. But to the ends of the earth. I think we can just safely, safely say that everything's included. Wherever you're at. Alright? Anybody disagree with that? Wherever you're at. And God's Word says, as you are going about... That's where Jesus is to be proclaimed. I'm not of the persuasion that you need to stand in the street corners and just scream your guts out. Jesus loves you! But he may call you that. He may call you to that. question is, are you doing what God has called you to do? Is the Holy Spirit prompting you in an area to serve him and to proclaim his name and to be a picture of Jesus? One of the messages I shared last week, there are a lot of people, you understand this, right? Everybody knows people that will never darken the doorway of a church door. Right? Anybody know people that will never come to church? I know people that don't want to come to church. That's why you have to be a picture of Jesus as you go out. And see, someone said the church has left the building. That's exactly true. This is just a building. It's just a facility. It's just where the church gathers. It's it's nothing. I'm thankful for nice chairs. I'm thankful for AC. I'm thankful for... Good lights. I'm, I'm thankful that we can be in here when it storms outside. It's all great. It's all wonderful. But it's nothing. It's just a building. And by the way, that's why I let so many people use it. Because it's just a building. It's an opportunity to be a picture of Jesus in everything that we do. Churches are the most unused buildings in America. It's a fact. And is it a pain sometimes? Yep. Do they mess with stuff? Yep. Do they irritate you? Yep. I'm just telling you. As hard as you try, they mess with stuff when you let them use the building. What's the alternative? Nope, sorry, this is our building. You can't touch it. The church is not the building. This is just the shell. But the church are the ones that are called out. And the church goes to school. The church goes to the grocery store. The church goes to work. The church talks to the neighbor next door. Be the church. You've been given the power to do so. You don't have to be afraid. You've got the Holy Spirit living within you. And he says, you're to be witnesses unto me, he says. Verse 9 says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. Can you imagine being there? Jesus in the flesh has just spoken to his disciples. I'm sending you out to complete the work that I've left for you to do. I've given you the tools to do it. Tarry here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And go do it. And then he kind of just drifts out of sight. And everyone's probably standing around like, did, did you just see what I just saw? Did, 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 are, you, are y'all seeing this? He gone. Can you imagine? But then it doesn't stop there. Look at that. Look at that. 
And while they were looked steadfastly toward the heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? Because they had just seen something they had never seen before. The man who was talking to him just went poof. And they don't know what to do. But the two angels, I believe, stood there and said, Why are you standing there? Why, 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 what are you doing? Why are you standing here looking up there? Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Implying what? He's coming back again someday. And to all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we say what? Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. We look forward to that day. But until that day, we stay faithful. This, this message is not for pastors. It's not for missionaries. It's not for deacons. It's not for elders. It's not for Sunday school teachers. It's for everyone. Everyone. And I think we need to get back to truly, truly leaning on the Holy Spirit to do in and through us what we cannot do in and through of ourselves. I can't do it. You can't do it. None of us are good enough, smart enough, strong enough, powerful enough, wise enough to do what God has asked us to do apart from the Holy Spirit. He said, you can abide in me, but apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if you can accomplish it in your flesh, it will probably be worth, worth nothing in the long run. You need the Holy Spirit to do what God has asked you to do. Some of us haven't learned what that means yet. But it starts with begging God to fill you with His Word. To fill you with His Spirit. And to say, God, work through me. God will not speak through someone who doesn't want it. Well, I should take that wrong back. God will willingly use those who let God you work through them. You can resist, but God will eventually have His way. So, for our invitation this morning, I'm just going to ask you to pray. As we started this service, just pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. To reveal Himself. That we would have boldness and power to do the things that God has called us to do. You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to see lasting results in our fellowship, it's only going to be because the Holy Spirit is doing it through us. In and of our flesh, we'll fail. How do I know that? Let me give you an example. Maybe it's a little bit of a reprimand. I don't know. You take it however you feel God take you, have you to take it. I made a statement that Andy Stanley made years ago. If you ain't got the guts to share your faith, at least get them here so I can. That's a true statement. If you ain't got the guts to do it, at least get them here so someone else can. Our last fill the field that we had, the first fill the field we had, I think we only had 15 people from our church, and there was 160 people there. I'm not saying every one of you should have to be at every one of the events. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we have opportunities that God allows us to use as tools. And some of us just flat don't care. 
That's the truth. Some of us haven't shared the gospel in years and we don't really care about it. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Opened up my heart door safe. Put him in there. Spun the dial. Can't nobody take it. My salvation is secure in Christ. And yet no one else has access to it either. It's a gift meant to be given away. Now, don't get me wrong. There's exceptions to my statements. There always is, and I praise God for that. But we have to get back to letting the Holy Spirit work in and through us. Get back to using the opportunities that God gives us. And some of us are not using them. Shame on us. Shame on us as a church. And I still get back to it. If our doors were to shut tomorrow, would anybody in this community even give a rip? Would they? I hope they would. I hope that we're having some impact on the people around us. That it's not just an elite social Christian club. I don't want it to be that. If that's what it is, we failed utterly and completely. We need the Holy Spirit to work. And apart from it, it's nothing. So this morning, I just want us to pray. Let's get back on track. Let's pray and beg the Holy Spirit to do something in and through us as we prepare our hearts for communion in just a moment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As the music plays, I just ask that you would pray. Pray specifically. I think, first of all, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's said according to James 1. So we need to first ask God to forgive us for not doing the things that he's called us to do. Number two, we need to ask God to help us be committed to the work that he's called us to do. Some of us haven't been very committed to God or to his church or to his work. And we need to recommit our lives and surrender afresh and anew to the work that God has called us to do as his children. And God forgive us, but if we don't care about that, it may be that we need to get saved. Put our faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe for the first time. And then number three, I think we need to pray for opportunities and the, and the courage and the boldness to act upon them. And for the Holy Spirit to just work mightily in and through us. Ask God to do that. As a body of believers, I believe there's not one person in this room, not one, I believe with all my heart, not one person in this room that God cannot use does not matter your circumstance. doesn't matter your age, your ability, your knowledge, your skill, your desire. It does not matter. I believe that God can use every one of you if you're willing. I 100% believe that. Not everyone will be used the same way. Some of you will be prayer warriors that, 
that, that are going to wake up the doors of heaven. Some of you will go out. Some of you will talk to your neighbors and friends and loved ones and relatives. But I don't believe there's one of you that God can and will not use if you're willing. So let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us fresh and anew. Work in and through us fresh and anew to accomplish His will. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. God, you know the very things that hinder us from walking in obedience. The very things that distract us from doing what you called us to do. The very things, God, that we fail at, that with your help we could be successful at. And Lord, I do believe it all does start with the Holy Spirit within us. And I pray, God, you'd help us as a body of believers as we witness in the book of Acts your church coming alive and growing, not just for the sake of growth, but because the Holy Spirit did a work that was just undeniably yours. And I ask, God, that you would do that work here at Harvest in us, Lord, your people. I pray that there would be no exceptions to the people that are here today, Lord, that we desire for you to show yourself strong in us, Lord. So help us, God, because we need it. We desperately need it. We pray for victory, Lord, in this area. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.